Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of Ecommerce Insights. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. I'm here with Raj Sheth today, a serial entrepreneur currently on his fourth company, Fly Data, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how they help people, why e-commerce companies should care, how you can use it to get an edge. They help centralize the data for analysis and make it easy for e-com companies to pull their data into one place and have insights on it without a large engineering team. How you doing, Raj? Nice to have you on the show. Nice to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me. Fly data, a lot of people, everyone realizes now data is important. Now there's this whole Apple, Facebook war. So you really need to have your own data, own it, know what the heck's going on with it. So before we get into into the use cases and some of the fun things that people can do once they have their, everything set up, take us to the foundations. Like, why is an e-commerce company going to be like, man, I need to centralize my data? And then how do you go about doing that? Sure. So I'll actually start with a simple example of a you know, 10 or 20 person e-commerce company. Let's say maybe they're on Shopify. They have their orders are coming in into one place. Let's say Shopify, they have the inventory there, but now they're also doing ads and marketing. They are doing Facebook, Instagram ads, they're doing Google AdWords, and they may have other live chat customer ticket systems and what have you. And essentially, in simple words, you know, funnily, I'm not an engineer as well. So like all, all the, the data jargon aside, uh, it's, it, at some point, it becomes important when your data or when your orders or when your business has crossed a certain limit, at some point, it becomes important to know what is working, uh, which part of the ads are working, who uh, what type of customers are most profitable? You know, how much do they buy? What kind of products do they buy? And I can We all broadly know that hey, if I spend X on ads, I got more revenue this month. But some channels are probably bringing in your better customers, and other channels are probably not working so well. So how do you make sense of all of this in one place? And very simply, this is why a company eventually has to figure out one source of truth, a dashboard where all the data is flowing into. Now that speaks our language. We do tracking, you know, extensive tracking ourselves. The data warehouse piece is tough or there's a lot of disparate systems, like even for orders, you got Shopify, but then you also got PayPal and then Google pay. And, you know, I'm forgetting a couple, <laughs> there's always like four to six ways people are taking payment. So, sure. what, I mean, how big is your stack of integrations you connect to and how do you add-on ones for people? Yeah, so currently what we've started helping e-commerce and other companies do is bring all their sources in one place, all of them, right? And uh, a lot of the connectors, the Flydata product already has. And uh, if we don't have certain connectors, we'll actually help them use other things to stitch it up. So we are also providing a service right now for a lot of people that don't know yeah, don't don't know about like the tools they should be using. But more importantly, I also keep getting a question that what, what's a data warehouse? Why do I need to use it? And mm -hmm. what ends up happening is, let's say that I'm getting two orders a day. I'm like a one person operation. I'm getting two orders a day. Of course, and maybe my I have had a hundred orders total in the last two years. Then of course I don't need to you know worry about you know data warehouse and things like that. But what ends up happening is if I'm on the higher end of that spectrum, and if I'm doing 50 to 100 orders, 
or 500 to 1,000 orders a day, uh, what ends up happening is if you try to query or try to do analytics on your main transactional database, every business has some database, whether it's behind Shopify or what have you, then it will take you hours and hours. It'll take you like nine hours to run that query because that's a transaction database. It's not meant for analytics. And a data warehouse, as the name suggests, it's a warehouse. So that's why it's built for you to store your data so you can pull the exact things you need in nine seconds versus nine hours. So very simply, that's a data warehouse. And, and to answer your question, we help them bring all the data, including the payments information that you talked about, whether it's PayPal or Stripe or other things, into one place, into a data warehouse. Well, I'm a data warehouse aficionado. I don't know if you... Ralph Kimball was like the godfather, I feel, of designing the right schema. I used to go take his courses and it was like fun for me. I'd be like, oh, I get to spend a week just learning data. I was like many years ago. <laughs> you know this stuff. You've seen in a lot of use cases, so you probably have some templated places to start. How do you help people pull in the right data, but then also have the right structure in the data warehouse to help them get the answers that, they that- want out the other end? Sure. That's a great question. And this is where what happens is a lot of people push their raw data to a data warehouse like Amazon Redshift, Google BigQuery, Snowflake, what have you. And then they basically transform it. So transform it, meaning they make it analytics ready. They decide what they want to pull. And that's essentially the part where if we understand the end goals of what you want to see, we can help you decide what you want to pull from your raw data. So let, let's take an example. I want to know my return on ad spend on a certain product category, or I want to know the lifetime value uh, of a customer for this product, or I want to know what's my leading product that leads to more sales, for example, in a given year, et cetera. If I, if I just have those end sort of end states or those desires written down in terms of analytics, then we can essentially pull maybe like the customer email is the common thread which runs across my order system, my payment system, and let's say where that visit may have come from, from the ads. And and we can make sure that that's a common entity and we have those joins, you know, running across those databases. So you don't need to struggle with, hey, something changed and I need to redesign it. You just need to essentially worry about, hey, these are the things that I need to see. And most of the time, folks that are analyzing the business just need to see it on a dashboard. So let's talk about some of uh, You mentioned product category. What uh, I want to shift gears just a touch. Product analytics. What are Because a lot of times you could pull in a lot of data on the product and it may or may not really move the needle. But what have you found? Uh, where should people focus when it comes to product data? Because uh, that's the area that you know, the econ people are really into, but there's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down. Where do you find people get the most ROI for their time spent in that data? Yeah, that's a good point because at the end of the day, why are we doing all of this? It's not, we're not getting some medals just to, you know, put, <laughs> put a whole bunch of data in a neat form, right? We're doing this to make decisions and we're doing this to, for example, I'll actually draw on the experience. I, I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but <laughs> the irony is before I knew all this stuff, I used to run an e-commerce business, which failed for other reasons, not, not because I <laughs> didn't know how to look at my data, but it failed for a whole <laughs> bunch of reasons. Uh, this was 10 years ago. And at the time, 
talking about product categories i kind of wanted to see things like hey uh, what are people everybody that converted what were they clicking on and what were they looking at like did they look at multiple categories did they like this was a jewelry site so were they just looking at rings before they and they made a purchase were they also looking at some other stuff which they never bought etc so i i kind of want to see i kind of wanted to see what what they added to the cart and never bought i kind of wanted to see what led them to go to a second product category purchase i wanted to see if they searched for something but then then end up buying that product category which means like we didn't have an adequate collection there so mm-hmm. it it sort of in many cases uh it would it should or it ought to inform where i should focus on in terms of like what are the next sort of things that we want to put for example we're working with an organic skincare company right now and they just realized that everybody's crazy about this toothpaste that they are making right <laughs> and and that was just like a seasonal thing and it went away but uh, and and they had missed it it had done well the inventory was over and they were happy and they realized that that was the best 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 selling product and also why like they had used some very specific ingredients so not only did they bring that back as the main product but now they're using those ingredients in some other things etc so now they also do an ingredient level search and not wow. just what people are clicking on. That's deep. So, I didn't so, know that. You know, I gone through a fair share of organic toothpastes and it's frustrating. They they're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be looking for this recommendation. Like the idea of it and the ingredients matter. That's interesting. That's and, and again, I didn't yeah. know, but as a consumer on the other end, I was like, all right, well, does it have charcoal in it? <laughs> like that's an yeah. organic toothpaste thing. Sure, uh, sure. More more and more these days because people are looking for such specific uh, online What about inventory? You do anything with inventory at all and how does it help people? Yeah, I mean, now people so so there is the basic stuff that people do. They obviously, you know, have an inventory management system as purchases are happening, they keep a an accurate track of it at both ends, sometimes at the dropshipper's end if they have like an OEM manufacturer and then the company itself. But the more interesting things that I've seen with inventory is they try to get ahead of seeing certain patterns that hey we're kind of seeing you know these kind of sales happen or so we should we should like stock more of this or we have data from the last holiday season and we saw that we sold out of all of these but we still had more site traffic and the product had disappeared so we should stock more of that so so seeing being able to like predict some of these things and again i, I don't want to get into Uh, the the fancy words like ml ml ai machine learning and mm-hmm. all of that but but some of the interesting things that i'm seeing there in plain english is that see the the ability to get noisy unclean data and then be able to tell something from it i think is is very exciting because otherwise it's all just like a theory class where you know we can explain to each other but like how do you make it happen like well, you know when i have my store etc what am i supposed to do who's supposed to help me etc but i think if people you know have already set up the data stack there is there is potential to do more and more with inventory maybe right now it's it's not super fancy it's basic but like to know to be able to predict exactly what i'll need to make for the next quarter uh, what i'll need to stock would be very powerful especially with sites that have lots and lots of skus right sites that are selling like voluminous amount of things like that's probably the number one thing there that's the mother load 
No, I asked because it, I wouldn't have thought it was that important, but we've had some Wick Reports customers that done so well that they've run out of stuff. (laughs) So, hey, why is your ad spend down? You guys were killing it. Well, I'm running out of stuff to sell. So that's where inventory analytics, maybe they could have got ahead of that and seen it coming or project it out. I don't know. Every case is different, but it's surprising that, you know, in the world today, the resources to make your products are actually in such demand that yeah. You can be costing yourself business because you're not on top of inventory, which wouldn't have yeah. been the and, case and a couple I, years ago. Sure. And especially if everything happens to you once, you should be able to catch it the second time. That That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That, at least that's the simple thing with data, right? Like this happened to me once I ran out. That's great, actually. I ran out, I should celebrate it. But now the second time, hopefully I can anticipate it because I already have that you know, that pattern in now. So I saw on the Flywheel site that you guys also did finance analytics. How does that, what are the top, because I come in SaaS world, so we dig in our finances a lot, but with uh, e-com, what, what do you find in it really moves the lever for people there? You mean which metric does? Yeah, which metrics in finance? Is it all about COGS or is it how much am I making on shipping or the, can I do yeah. a loss here because I'm going to get a gain on the back end when I upsell them X, Y, Z? Like I have all these theories, but what, what, sure. How do what so, do you set up for people to drive for the insights? Yeah, so I'll I'll tell you what I hear from them directly. So the two or three recurring things are one is the return on ad spend, the ROAS, right? Like all all the and especially for the funded e-commerce companies, the e-commerce companies that have raised you know venture capital, institution capital, they are tracking return on ad spend. And then they, of course, they're tracking it on a transaction level, but they also see, hey, what's, if I, ha- if I got a customer, what was my cost of conversion, right? My CAC, what was my cost of conversion on this customer? And let's say it was, I don't know, 10 bucks or 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Now they kind of keep tracking how much is that customer buying over one year, right? And, and so that gives them sort of a, not a lifetime value, but they keep tracking it quarterly, annually, that, hey, this person came back and bought three times. And then essentially they bought a total things for $100. And the next thing they want to know is what was my gross margin on that customer, right? So they they came three times this year, bought for $100, and my cost on that was 50 bucks. So roughly, you know, I had $50 gross margin, cost me 10 bucks to acquire that customer. Mm-hmm. So these are the two or three. And now, again, depending on the kind of e-commerce, uh, there are so many specific use cases, but this is uh, very universal that, that we see across the board. What do you use as your source for the attribution numbers? Are you using the ad platform conversion numbers? Yeah, so so and that's where it becomes important to have them all. So it is Google Analytics, it is the ads, Google AdWords, it is Facebook, it's all of them. And and of course, depending on what source they came from. Uh, so we kind of get all those three or four sources to one place, and then we kind of know the source of truth. That's where we need to talk off record off recording, because like so that's what we exist because that data is. Sometimes, depending on the setup, the Facebook or Google can be kind of optimistic or they'll ignore email sales. So you got to like vet out with algorithms yeah. who really deserves credit because we now yeah. have an outbound API. So maybe we can be a fly data connector. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. It's not, a, it's, yeah. 
and by no means is is it all squared away and the attribution is clean i mean of course this is like a prerequisite starting point but yeah it's it's usually even our own attribution for flight data i'd be mm-hmm. lying if i said like <laughs> i know even though we do this stuff our attribution is out of whack sometimes yeah we can't track it we hear that a lot that's why we have a good business <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's tough but that being said you know all these different pieces like they all affect the success of ecom like you can sure. get pristine attribution but then if your inventory analytics are out of whack you run out of stuff you don't make money or if you're selling the wrong product and it's the one that doesn't have the high lifetime value customers then you got all these one and dones and then your roas isn't high enough for you to scale the ad spend So a lot of that scale comes from the repeat buyers from the initial acquisition. So it all plays a part. How do you help people uh so do they already have to have so if they come to you do they have a person that's going to you're going to train up on consuming the data or are you guys going to be an ad hoc consulting or are you you flexible on that? How does that work? Yeah. So exactly so uh, we've seen both now. So what happens is sometimes in a slightly larger company there will be a CTO or let's say like a head of technology in the really larger ones we start seeing a data team like head of data head of data and analytics etc and there we sort of we show them how to consume the data as you said but in the slightly smaller ones we are the ones that are setting this stuff up for them and mm-hmm. uh, all the way to the dashboard so these these folks for example are not logging into setting up redshift amazon redshift then they're never logging in there but they are essentially just looking at the dashboard and and though that is also informed since we are a little since we are focused on e-commerce that's also informing our future roadmap because we get to learn at close quarters what are all the exceptions and what are all the problems that these guys are having mm-hmm. so depending on the size of the company either there is you know an engineer technical person who just uses fly data so they are the ones driving or in the smaller ones we set it up for them. So walk me through the so I'm an e-com company of 10 people. I get one mm-hmm. person that knows the way around a spreadsheet. Walk me through the process of how you I get set up. I sign up, you know, pay you and then what happens? <laughs> Let's take the example where we are setting it up for you. We pretty much walk you through an onboarding where we will know all your sources. Let's say you have a MySQL, you know, transactional database and uh you have three ad sources you have a payment let's say two payment systems and you have all of that other stuff and so you have about 10 sources of data right we we pipe that all into a data warehouse and we will figure out like what should be the right one for you we are vend- vendor agnostic so it's not like we are the data warehouse so now mm-hmm. you have like two or yeah. three options amazon google snowflake and so we'll we'll kind of share the pros and cons in terms of like if you have a budget if you're already on aws and other things and we will get all that data piped into data warehouse and before that we would have also understood from you your goals that hey this is what i want to see and these are the gaps this is what i've not been able to see in excel and this is where my queries have broken when i've tried to do them directly on my my mysql and then we will there are like 6 7 8 visualization dashboard dashboard tools that will sit on top of redshift or your other data warehouse meaning they're taking data from that and we we will figure that out with you too there are some super you know sophisticated ones but then there are also like you're able to sort of rely on it and do the filters and querying yourself 
that's voila, that's your data stack. What's your favorite um, front-end chart tool? <laughs> so I'm, I'm playing around with mode.com right now a little bit, okay. but that's, and since a lot of people, I, I, I don't want to uh, play favorites to any tool. <laughs> that's fine. I've always really liked high charts, but it takes some manipulation. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't been okay. manipulating charts in a long time, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't high used high charts, nice. yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about now? So you pipe the data in, then what about the modeling of the warehouse piece? Is that where they're going to first, are you just going to connect the raw sources in and let them join it around and then warehouse it after? No, no, we will, in this first example, we will do that as well. So we'll kind of understand the sources and the data uh, from you. And we would do the joins and the transforms as well. We'll do that for you because we are again assuming the first case that you're, you you kind of know what you want as an output, but uh, you don't know how to do that stuff. So, how long does that end to end take then? To where I've got my warehouse built, optimized, queries are fast. I like my charts. So, I mean, it's a, I think it depends, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think if if our assumptions are clear, if we know what we want, it, it's it's uh, many of many of the times it's been just a couple of days. Really, so I would say it's like it's That's two to impressive. five days. Two to five. Because keep in mind, again, we're using uh, a lot of these tools, right? Like setting up Redshift. Yes, like if you have huge amount of tables and we we figure out the schemas, but if you have huge amount of tables, the initial sync might take a little bit of time, but it, it's still it's still within a work week. It's two to five days. That's impressive. I can see a lot of little mini projects I might want you guys to help us with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'm serious. That That is impressive. Even if it's like two weeks, it's still really fast. Good Good yeah. work. Shifting gears a little. So you're a four-time entrepreneur. I'm a three-time. And so like my first one was a meditation membership site. And oh, it was nice. 2007. So this wasn't like apps, right? So my whole problem was the delivery mechanism. You, you pay for a meditation. You got to download it somehow to your computer, then you got to get it onto a device, then listen to it and repeat that process. People don't like to do that. So I just couldn't scale it and I didn't know a way around doing it. And then I ran out of money. And then my second one was an IT custom services. So basically programmers, you come in, I need an app built for my organization. We did some pretty big companies, uh, Fortune 500, 1000, but it wasn't fun. It was like someone would say, hey, I need this report, he piped this date. And it, I just didn't have a passion for it. So then I hit gold on this third one. 4X, and I know you had a success and you had a failure in there. Talk about, uh, not many people strike it like Zuckerberg. <laughs> you know, I have an idea and I'm a billionaire. So uh, just tell us a little about your past, about some of these other startups. It's always interesting to hear how people got to where they were. Sure. The, the first one, actually, I'll tell you the zero one before the four, because it's a fun one. Uh, I, I went to school at, you know, Babson outside of Boston. Oh, uh, I went to and, Bentley, my rival. Oh, you did? Yes. Oh. <laughs> I, I almost went, I got into awesome. Babson and uh, I think Bentley gave me more aid. So I had to go there. <laughs> That's a good reason. That's a yeah. good reason. Uh, so funnily at Babson, they, it was, it was super entrepreneurial and all that. Like mm. they, in freshman year, they kind of split the classes and give you a little bit of money to build an actual product and do a student business. Anyway, the next couple of years uh, at Babson, I had a website that delivered food from restaurants that didn't deliver themselves. And we were in <sighs> Wellesley, you, you know, the place. Yeah. And, and so it, it, it wasn't like a, company or anything it was it was a student business but we kind of ran it for a couple of years and we used to get a 30 percent cut 
from from the restaurant menu. So we kind of keep the prices the same, and we consolidated this to one delivery. So it was just a late night service, like when the the meal plan and all of that was short, and your options yeah. were only Domino's or whatever, right? So like that'd be so brisk. Just like ten, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten ten thirty delivery. So funnily, I sold that business for a, a couple of thousand dollars when I graduated to a student. I, I only got a thousand dollars, and then they said they would give me the rest. And actually, <laughs> never saw that money. But it was so that was like my first acquisition. thousand dollars <laughs> so that that was the zero right now i will not call that one the failure but then you know cut to 2006 after i'd worked uh, in a job for 3 years real quick i did two b to c companies over the next four and a half years and they both failed so that was company 1 and 2 the second one was the e-commerce one the first one was a craigslist kind of classified portal uh, for india i was like hey this craigslist is awesome like i sold all mm-hmm. my furniture here in boston let me try it in a different market it failed and then the e-commerce site was you heard of blue nile i hadn't heard of blue nile at the time funnily no. but i knew blue nile is is where jewelry manufacturers directly put their products so the platform doesn't hold any inventory and then it's direct to it cuts out any retailers or stores it, it was direct to consumer I, i didn't know what what the hell i was doing actually but back then so <laughs> even though i spent a lot of time on it uh, so that failed the classified side actually had transactions happening but i never figured out a revenue model i never figured out how to make money on it so it wasn't sustainable and so the third one was recruiter box the product uh, that i was studying about we helped you know small and growing companies uh manage their hiring in one place and manage interview notes take decisions it was a lightweight applicant tracking system that's the one we ran for almost 7 years we we had 3000 companies all over the US using using the product we had a wonderful team of 55 people and nice. then we were acquired by private equity in 2018 end of 2017 early 2018 nice and the fourth one is fly data when just learning 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 and now on to this one yep that's fun i often think back to that meditation one when i see like calm or headspace is worth a billion you're probably the same with doordash <laughs> like i basically was doing doordash <laughs> yeah exactly it's just before those the apps. things that you can't quite see when you're in it or yeah, competing yeah. pressures or your age you know you get antsy it's nuts that was that's really cool that the <laughs> the ordering at Babson they have such a good entrepreneurial s- curriculum like yeah. they're just supporting you learning how to be an entrepreneur that's not it's pretty rare Bentley didn't yeah. do that Bentley I was finance I was I went I was a trader so I was into trading and they had they're really into trading there so one of the yeah. classes you got graded on how much you grew in account trading currencies so that's all yeah. I needed to hear I wanted to go there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I was like I get nice. to graded for trading I'm in you know that was my best class Man. So, man, this was fun. Where can these e-com companies find out more about you? I think the easiest thing is email raj r a j raj at flydata dot com, and then if you just you know plug in raj and flydata and LinkedIn, you will find me there as well. And yeah, email would be best. And uh, I, I am. If anybody now is brave enough to get out and want to get coffee and happens to be in San Francisco, let me know. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. Great episode. Yeah. I'm sure Ecom will get a lot from this. Raj Shath everyone. Bye-bye.